Hi, I'm Mona Lewis, the sports director of WSU, and I want to personally welcome you to X's and Opinions. Sit back and listen as some of WSU's sportscasters break down some of the major headlines over the past week of professional sports. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WSU Sports for more content. And rate this podcast and subscribe if you enjoy. Now, let's get started, shall we? Hello and welcome to this week's edition of X's and Opinions. I'm Ben Harris. Joining me shortly will be my analysts, Will Swanky and Justin Nicosia. Fellas, how are you doing on this fine Sunday evening? No, I'm fantastic, Ben. We've had a great wildcard weekend. Some Mets news that we'll go over later broke this weekend and I'm excited about. Uh, so overall, I'm just doing really well, having a great weekend. Fantastic. And Will, I know it's your mom's birthday. How, how are you doing on this very monumentous occasion? <laughs> Thank you, Ben. I've had a good weekend, too. You know, watching the NFL wildcard games has been fun. And, uh, you know, just to put a damper on it, the Knicks, you know, I'm a big Knicks fan. They're currently down by a significant amount to the Denver Nuggets at about halftime. So could have gone better tonight, but you know, we'll get into some Knicks talk later. It's been good news mostly for them this season. Yes, it has. We'll touch on the Knicks a little bit later, as you said, but let's get right into the MLB, starting off with Justin's Mets. They made a huge splash this week, trading a bunch of uh, prospects and uh, some fringe major leaguers for none other than the multi-time all-star Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. How does this huge trade, which fills big needs, both uh, in the starting rotation and at sh- the shortstop position, how does this huge trade impact the team going forward into this upcoming season? What are you going to expect from this Mets team? You know, I have some really high expectations for this team now. Uh, last year, we had a really disappointing season. We finished under 500 and tied for last in the NL East in a shortened season. Um, I mean, we definitely underwhelmed people. We just didn't meet the expectations at all. Uh, so going into this year, I was kind of expecting, like, if we had the team that we had at the end of last year, go into be, like, second or even third in the NL East. But now, I think that we're right up there with the Atlanta Braves, and this could be a really competitive NL East, even more competitive than it already has been with the Nationals, the Phillies, and the Braves, along with the Mets being really competitive teams. And for the Mets, whose biggest weakness last year, aside from pitching, uh, was defense. Adding a multi-time gold glover at shortstop, who is probably the best defensive shortstop, if not the best overall shortstop in the game, along with a solid number two pitcher behind Jacob deGrom. It, it just is absolutely amazing, and it fits two big holes for the team um, where we really had them last year. I think one of the scariest things about this, Justin, and I say that from a non-Mets fan perspective, is there's no way this is going to be their last move of this offseason. I mean, for the Definitely Mets, you look, at, you look at what they've done so far this year. I mean, they've added Trevor May to beef up their bullpen. They added James McCann, who's a really good player and a really nice catcher for them. You know, Wilson Ramos was decent, but he was probably one of their worst defensive catchers, you know, on their team and in the league last year. So now they can add James McCann. And now they bring in one of the best players in the MLB in Francisco Lindor. And that's just, you know, that could be just the beginning. I mean, we could be seeing them add players like maybe a George Springer. You know, I think adding Trevor Bauer is less likely now, especially since they got Carlos Carrasco basically for free. Uh, But I I don't want to take that off the table either. And, you know, for Yankee fans right now, I am one as well. We've been kind of quiet and we kind of have no choice but to be quiet at this point because the Mets, 
you know, they're finally making moves. And with Steve Cohen, he's finally a big market owner. And this is a big market team. And they can operate, you know, with the Yankees and with the Dodgers and with some of the more premier teams in the MLB just because there's no salary cap. And Steve Cohen is by far the richest owner in baseball. So the Mets, they're just getting started. I think for the foreseeable future, they will be at least a contender, you know, for the next couple of years. And they will always be in the conversation for adding some of the more premier players in the MLB. And they basically have never been in that position before. And now it's Steve Cohen. You know, you have the richest owner. He can open a lot of things up for you. And we're already seeing them make big moves thus far. So it's been a successful offseason, a, a, a very unique, rare offseason for Mets, for the Mets and for Met fans. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to be pretty good for quite some time. Yeah, I think uh, getting the Wilpons uh, hand out of this organization, bringing in Steve Cohen, a baseball owner, like a true baseball man's baseball man, you want this kind of guy owning your team and being willing to spend money and be aggressive to make moves to create a competitor and bring the Mets back to the top of the NL East where they deserve to belong. I mean, looking at their crosstown counterparts while the Yankees are just arguing over 25 million to bring back their most important player from the past two years. It's looking like there is a new competent front office in New York and the Mets are making very, very strong moves that are unquestionably wins for them. I mean, no one's even thinking, Oh, did they maybe give up prospects that are too valuable? No, the Mets made a win now move and it's Steve Cohen's first big splash as the head of this franchise. And I'm excited to see where it takes this team. Now on to another blue and orange team here in the big apple. The Knicks are looking pretty solid right now. I'm not going to say good just because I've been hurt too many times in my life, but they're better than they have been in recent history. I mean, Julius Randle is putting up great numbers night in and night out. Uh, their record is reflecting this. I mean, the Knicks are looking like a competent organization right now. Justin, what do you think about the Knicks' recent performance? I think this is absolutely fantastic right now. I mean, Julius Randle, I mean, you just touched upon it a second ago. It's been looking like an absolute all-star right now. And I think a big part of that is, like, he looks like a completely different player out there. And I don't just mean that as in he's developed really well going into his age 26 season, but more so he just looks like a completely different style of player too. I mean, we look back at his, the rest of his career when he was with the Lakers and even New Orleans and throughout his whole career before this year, he averaged less than three assists per game. Now he's dishing the rock out, given over seven assists per game so far this season. And he's really facilitating this offense in a role that the Knicks have needed for a long time. They've needed a guy that could go out and pass the ball to players. They still kind of need a guy that can shoot the ball from deep because they still are kind of iffy on that. But they've been playing fantastic defense. I think Tom Thibodeau has done a really good job at teaching you know, the team to fight for every shot on defense, go and put a hand in the face in every single shot. And it has really shown. And I'm really excited for what the Knicks can be doing this year. I saw that a lot of people were thinking we'd finish bottom half of the league, if not the worst in the league. And so far, we've just shut the haters up and we've been able to figure out how to win some games. And we've had some really impressive wins so far, too. 
Absolutely. I mean, after tonight, it's going to go down to five and five. But coming into this tonight's game versus the Denver Nuggets, which they're bound to lose, it looks like they're still down by a lot uh, at the time of this recording. Uh, The Knicks came into tonight's game as the sixth seed in the East, which granted Eastern Conference seeding is not the most competitive uh, way of ranking the league's teams right now, just because the East is very uh, lopsided against the West. I mean, the West is just so much of a stronger conference this year and as of late, honestly, but I mean, Julius Randle going out and being the true leader of this Knicks team, averaging 22 and 12 a night and adding seven assists, as you pointed out. I mean, it's just, it's putting him right in line to make possibly his first all-star appearance and uh, definitely putting him in contention to win most improved player. Yeah. Julius Randle has been fantastic this year and it probably, I could attribute it to a couple of things. I mean, Number one, first and foremost, is Tom Thibodeau, who I want to touch on in a minute. But probably the Knicks going out and drafting Obi Toppin to be his replacement, I bet that had some somewhat of a motivating factor for him going into this year. You know, they play the same position. Julius Randle was public enemy number one for Knicks fans last year. I mean, the nickname Beyblade, I think, got added to basketball reference. You know, I, I didn't even know that they put negative nicknames on the basketball reference, but, you know... Every time Julius Randle went and spun into the lane and turned it over, you know, Nick fans would just roll their eyes. But now this year, I mean, he's putting up, and this is, isn't hyperbole when I say this, but he's putting up numbers that are like prime LeBron. I mean, he's averaging almost 25 points per game, up over 10 rebounds. And he's been. It's crazy you can say that and lightning doesn't strike. <laughs> I know. It, I mean, he's been top 10 in the NBA in assists, which has been, you know, one of the reasons why the Knicks have been so good uh, just as a team because he's been the focal point of the offense and he's been distributing it to, you know, all the other players on the team and they've been benefiting from all the attention that he's been drawing, but this really has been attributed to Tom Thibodeau and his ability to just really get the most out of his teams. I mean, everywhere he goes, he turns things around for their fran- for the franchises. I mean, when he was in Chicago for the five years that he was there, the team averaged 51 wins in his tenure. And in the five seasons before they only averaged 41. And in the five seasons after they only have averaged 30. They had 22 wins last year. So clearly you can see the Thibodeau effect in that time span. In Minnesota, when he took over there, they made their first playoff appearance in 13 years. I mean, they had one of the longest droughts in the NBA, and they were able to overcome that hump with, with Thibodeau as their head coach. So now you can see the effect he's having in New York, uh, albeit it is early. I mean, they're if they're 5-5 five and five after today, you know, uh, we I can't go out here and say that they're going to win the championship or, or be a top seed in the playoffs, but to be 500 after the first 10 games for this Nick team is certainly an accomplishment. And if they continue to play well throughout the season, if they get to, you know, 30 wins in a short year, a 72 game year, it's going to be a big success for this team. And, and it'll be attributed a lot to Tom Thibodeau. So I'm, I'm excited for what the future holds with, with Thibodeau as the head coach. Of course, it's very measurable improvement when you're uh, just gaining wins and there's uh, obviously more competent basketball being played on the floor by these developing young players. Uh, Of these developing young players, RJ Barrett has shown very inconsistent flashes of greatness throughout this year. I mean, uh, he had a performance, I believe it was the second game of the season where he started the half 100% from the floor. And then the next night out, he was just back to the RJ Knicks fans were criticizing all season last year where he was just 
shooting too many shots and bricking the majority of them. I mean, does RJ Barrett have the tools and the skills to be able to grow out of this inconsistency? Because it seems like when he's on, he's really on and he looks like a player that was worthy of being selected number three overall. But this inconsistency has got to be driving Knicks fans mad. And especially if they're in a position to make the playoffs later on in the season, especially since this 72 game format allows for that seven through 10 uh, playoff kind of thing to be going on. I think that RJ Barrett is going to be the key to the Knicks having success later on in the season. I think he does yeah, have definitely. the tools, Ben. Just uh, sorry, Justin, just going back to your, your original question, uh, because we've seen it in flashes, you know, those 25, 26 point per game performances don't come just completely out of nowhere. I mean, you could see that when he does struggle, his shot just doesn't fall. You know, maybe he struggles from beyond the arc. Maybe he feels too much pressure as sort of a, a top two option on this team as a second year player, just having to carry the load on offense. You know, maybe if Randall isn't having going or some of the other players aren't producing. So he absolutely has the tools. I mean, players don't just score 25 points per game and you know grab 10 rebounds, 10, 11 rebounds, and get a couple of assists just out, out of nowhere. You know, he is only in his second season. He's already made a big improvement. I think he averaged just, just under 14 points per game last year. He got completely snubbed from all the all-rookie teams. And now he's up over 17 points per game. And, you know, he, he definitely is a versatile enough player to – get a lot of uh, assists and rebounds. So the tools are there for RJ bear. It's just going to be the consistency that he has to grow into. And throughout this year, we should at least see some progress coming from that where he could be giving you, you know, 17, 18, every single game on decent shooting. Uh, I wouldn't expect a 25 point performance from him all the time though. I think it'll be a third year uh, when we start to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am pretty much in agreement there with uh, Will right now. I think that it's not really, there's not really much to worry about. He's only 20 years old and he's in his second year. So there's not much to worry about uh, there. The consistency will show up as he gets older and gains experience and is able to just get into a bigger, more of a rhythm as he gets deeper into his career. And he's shown that he's had a lot of flashes. I mean, there have been games where he was three of three from three, four or five from three, shooting the ball over 50% the entire game, which as a shooting guard is really good. He's not getting inside as much as a center would. So those numbers are really good for him. So I do think that he has the tools to get there. I don't know how consistent he will be this year, especially down the stretch. And that should be a little concerning for Knicks fans, especially the ones that want the Knicks to make the playoffs and think that they can go far. Um, but if RJ Barrett can establish this consistency, which I think he definitely can, especially under the leadership of Tom Thibodeau, then he can definitely be an all-star at some point over the next few years and be one of the league's best. And alongside Julius Randle, if the Knicks hold on to him for a while, uh, can be a really good one-two punch uh, for the Knicks for a while to come. Yeah, not to mention if Obi Toppin ends up being a player that's able to develop and hone in on his skills, I think the three of them could absolutely cause havoc as just very long guys who can guard and play multiple positions. I think there's a lot of talent in the Knicks uh, organization right now. It's just a matter of uh, can they build the pieces around it? Can they keep these 
players uh, developing. Is Tibbs the right fit? And I think all we got to do is wait and see. Now, taking the two train from the Garden over to the Barclays Center, the Nets are also solid, but they're struggling right now, not really to their own fault. I mean, Spencer Didwitty went down with a torn ACL, and uh, some of the Nets' stars like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have been out with preventative COVID measures that they've been taking, and uh, for Kyrie, some personal reasons. With that being said, the Nets have fallen to 5-5, five and five, sitting 10th in the East, which is not exactly their expectations heading into the season. Right now, as we record, they're up 69-67 to 67 against the Oklahoma City Thunder with uh, KD came back tonight. He's right now got 14, six boards, and four assists. So what is it going to take to get this Nets team back on track? Is it just more time on the court for KD and Kyrie, or is there something bigger here at play? Um, I think a lot of it is just getting Kevin Durant and Kyrie back onto the court at the same time. We saw in the first couple of games this year where they were absolutely blowing out their opponents that when these two players are on the court and when they're playing really well together, they are just unstoppable. Um, it was a kind of a big question, at least for me, going into the season, how these two would be able to mesh together because as good as they both are, uh, they're both top five of their position. Durant, probably top five in the entire league. Um, they're both kind of players that like to hold on to the ball a lot more, but they've been able to match together really well. They've had good chemistry when they have been on the court together. So that question has been answered for me. The other question hasn't, though, is how much time are they going to be missing on and off the court? I know KD hasn't had really it isn't much his fault with being off the court because of the COVID reasons, but in his past, he's had a couple injuries and they definitely could come back. And if they do come back, this Brooklyn Nets team, although they are pretty deep with their bench, no one's going to be able to match the level of production that Kevin Durant has. And even if Kyrie's playing, if Kevin Durant's gone, I just think that it becomes a more of a mediocre team. They're still a playoff team, but I think they would be closer to like a six or a seven seed if uh, Kevin Durant has to miss some extended time due to some of the injuries popping back up that he's had in his past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do agree with Justin. Just, uh, you know, them missing Katie and Kyrie and really any team just missing its, you know, two top players, that team's probably going to struggle. And especially the with the Nets specifically, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, he's probably their fourth best player. You know, I would say Karis LeVert would make up their big three, but... Dinwiddie is now done for the year, and so that's going to be a, a hole they need to fill somehow, and especially when you don't have Kyrie playing or you don't have either one, Katie or Kyrie. You know, Dinwiddie would really be a guy who could step in there and step into a scoring role and give you, you know, up over 20 points. He averaged over 20 points last year uh, while Katie and Kyrie were out. So uh, losing him is definitely huge, uh, but luckily for the Nets this year, as, a, as opposed to last year, Katie and Kyrie are only out temporarily. You know, Katie, he's already back. And Kyrie, I guess eventually he'll come back. You know, we'll, we don't really know what's going on with him, but he is not injured right now. So uh, this team should get back on track once they get their stars back on the court. Yeah, and I think, uh, as you mentioned, Karis LeVert, really is the third best player on that team. He's solidified himself in that role tonight in the active game against uh, OKC. He's currently got 15 points, five assists, and uh, 
three rebounds but Karras has been having some great nights the past three games he's scored 24 22 and then against Memphis he exploded for 43 I mean he really is trying to take on this workload while the other stars are uh out for their variety of reasons so Karras can be a reliable scoring option, and I really, really trust him as that third option, especially when we move later into the season, the Nets become more cohesive. I think he is one of the best third options in the league just because of his all-around abilities. I mean, I've been watching this guy since he was at Michigan, and he's just shown so much perseverance throughout his career, uh, shown a lot of growth through every single season. I do think he needs to become uh, more of a consistent uh, knockdown threat from behind the three-point arc just because he's taking the most threes of his career right now yet he's still shooting in the 340s range and I just think to be a bigger threat for this Nets uh, cohesive offense that Mike D'Antoni is setting up for them I really want to see him become a more efficient three-point scorer but as the third option, if that's the improvement we're worried about, I'm very comfortable. I just think it's a matter of getting KD and Kyrie on the court with this great surround, uh, surrounding cast of bench players and role players who are really well set up to succeed uh, with these superstars. Now, these superstars in KD and Kyrie are the ones that brought in Steve Nash as their head coach. Do you believe in Steve Nash and his system of uh, using Mike D'Antoni as kind of an offensive coordinator and Jacques Vaughn as a defensive coordinator and him just being the overall guy taking care of the whole group? I, I do kind of like this all. It leads to a kind of team where you're shooting the ball a lot more, which they definitely have the – personnel to do so i mean we know we all know how lethal kevin durant is shooting the ball Kyrie is just up there too and if karis levert can establish that consistency that he's been kind of hinting at throughout his whole career then it really this coaching style by this nets team is really something that just fits this team so well so i really do like what nash and his crew is doing over in brooklyn now it does allow you to give up a lot of points from time to time which sometimes is going to be hard to keep up with. I mean, it was hard to keep up with the Wizards last week when they lost 123, 122. Um, it's not often you lose when you're scoring 122 points, but that's the kind of game that this Brooklyn Nets uh, style of coaching really allows you to get into. But I, yeah, think and I, mean, have the, I think they have the personnel to do so. Yeah, and I mean, a, another guy who can help out in that department is three-point contest champion Joe Harris. I mean, they just signed him to an extension, and I, I think if they can get his catch-and-shoot abilities more involved in that offense, then they'll be better off. And they they do run the risk, you're right, of pl playing like a team that has to outscore their opponent to win, not just because they just don't have that clamp-down ability on defense, because their best defenders are KD, Jared Allen, and DeAndre Jordan. And you can't have Jordan and Allen on the floor at the same time, or else that's just kind of messing up your spacing. So they, they do have some things they might need to figure out on the defensive end throughout the season, but I think you're 100% right that they have the ability as a full unit to just get bucket after bucket and really just outscore their opponents. But that comes with its own risk. When I hear Mike D'Antoni is going to handle the offense and Jock Vaughn's going to handle the defense, I kind of only have one question after that, and it's you know, what, like, what is Steve Nash doing this whole time? 
And the approach that they're taking, I mean, it's certainly unique. The NBA, they've never really had defensive coordinators and offensive coordinators before, like the NFL. I'm not saying that this is that. You know, it's certainly a much different dynamic than football because in football, you know, the rosters are so large. Every position is so specialized. You have offensive line coaches, you know, special teams, linebacker coaches. There's all kinds of people that, you know, work with the different players in the NFL. And in the NBA, you know, the head coach, uh, we're seeing it. You can certainly see it in the Knicks with Thibodeau. You know, he's their leader and he's the guy that comes in and makes sure that every guy is doing their job. And it, I feel like it's a much closer relationship, your NBA team's relationship with the head coach. So I'm not really sure what Steve Nash has been up to. I kind of am not sure how he, he's going to work for the rest of the season just because I don't really believe for one second that the Nets would have chosen Steve Nash as their head coach if it wasn't up to Katie and Kyrie, I feel like he's just kind of there to appease what they want and to sort of work with them. And I mean, that's kind of what you see in the NBA. The, the star players really do run the show and it's much more of a, a player run league than something like the NFL or the MLB. So I kind of do have some questions about what the Steve Nash coaching style will be like. And, you know, certainly through the first couple of games, it, it hasn't really been working just because they are at 500 and for a team, with championship aspirations, you know, you should be off to a better start than they are, albeit Katie and Kyrie have been out. So, uh, of course, that is going to help them struggle. But I would like to see how this plays out for the rest of the year. I, I think we're sort of seeing why the head coach handles a lot of the duties for NBA teams just because offensive and defensive coordinators don't necessarily work out. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting how Nash and uh, his coaching squad kind of uh, are able to develop that squad throughout the rest of the year. On to another uh, coaching situation we have on our hands. The Washington Wizards are underperforming, and it might be all Scott Brooks's fault. I'm not going to say it's all Scott Brooks's fault. But pretty much every side is pointing that it is. I mean, the team used this offseason to bring in big name pieces and provide a more competent supporting cast for their uh, new look backcourt now that they have Russ and Beal paired together. Yet the defense on the court, no matter what your new look roster says, you need to focus in on the fundamentals and their defense is absolutely pitiful they're allowing the most points in the league every single night out and they're sitting amongst the bottom 10 in team defensive rating like bradley beal was even quoted this week saying at this point we can't guard a parked car so they've got russ they've got beal beal is putting up astronomical numbers he scored 100 points in just two games i mean there's not a ton more Bradley Beal can do. Russell Westbrook is putting up his numbers when he's on the court. Uh, unfortunately, they just lost Thomas Bryant for the season with a torn ACL, so that's a huge blow to them. But then uh, Denny Evdija is uh, the rookie. Uh, he's been showing out pretty well, uh, especially for uh, what they expected of him initially. And Rui Hachimura had a good rookie season last year, and he's uh, stepped his game up offensively. But their defense is absolutely horrible, and it's losing them games. So to you, is coaching the issue? And if it is, what point do they just say, we're not going to let you finish the final year of your contract, Scott Brooks. You need to get out of here now because we want to win this season. Well, coaching definitely is the issue. Uh, it, when you're giving up 120 points a game almost, it 
almost always traces back to coaching. Or actually, they're giving up over 120 points per game. Excuse me. Um, and I, I don't know exactly when they're going to be able to stop and just take a minute to actually gather themselves and play better defense. Um, but I think it's, it would be a little bit too early to fire Scott Burks because you're only 10 games through the year. You're not even a seventh of the way through the year. And although you don't want to keep going down this road, you got to give them a little bit more time. Maybe, you know, you traded away John Wall, your starting point guard. You brought in Russell Westbrook. Maybe there's a little bit of some miscommunication going on on the defensive end that we're not completely aware of that you need to get figured out, especially with the lack of training camp going on. I think you need to give Scott Brooks a little bit longer to get his team in a chemistry on both sides of the ball, but especially the defensive side of the ball going before you decide to pull the trigger and fire him uh, this early on in the season. Mm-hmm. Will? I think part of it is, yeah, sorry. I think part of it is Scott Brooks's fault, uh, especially, you know, the fact that they're such an awful defensive team. That is partly on the coach to prepare their team for games. And the fact that Brooks is on the final year of his deal, you know, he's been trending downward every single year he's been in Washington. In their first year, that was, you know, one of John Wall's best seasons, 49 wins for him and his team. The second year for him, 43 wins, 30 or 32, last year, 25. Now they're off to a two and eight start. So I certainly don't think it would hurt to get rid of him. I don't know how much of an impact it would make, but I don't think he's making this team any better than they would be otherwise. Uh, But as for the Wizards just in general, I think a lot of people, and I certainly have fallen victim to this myself, I think we're just overrating their team and their roster this year. I mean, we know that they have one of the better backcourts in the NBA. Westbrook and Beal are obviously stars. But Westbrook, I mean, he's having one of the worst years of his career to start the season he's only averaging 19 points per game he's shooting about 30 percent from three and 37 percent from the field he's never really been one to uh you know encroach the 50 40 90 club if you know what i mean i mean he kind mm-hmm. of has always been one to just take a lot of shots so i mean there's that but i just think the rest of the team you know they just lost thomas bryant who's one of the best players for the year you're kind of relying on players like Bertans and Hachimura, who I think are pretty good players. But other than that, and other than Westbrook and Beal, they kind of don't have anybody else. They're relying on Jerome Robinson and Ryle Neto and uh, Robin Lopez. You know, those guys, they're not guys that you want to rely on when you're trying to be a playoff team. So I just think this Wizards team may have been a little bit overrated by some people, including me. And maybe Westbrook and Beal can't lead them to, you know, the six or seven or eight seed. I think maybe at this point, especially with Bryant gone, they might just be too bad. Yeah. The loss of Thomas Bryant is going to be severely missed by wizards fans, especially since now they have to watch Robin Lopez play basketball in 2021 for 30 minutes a night. That's a curse. I would never wish upon anyone's team as for this young NBA season. It's still early and I just want to know who has your guys's favorite player been to watch so far? Not, not the best player, not your MVP candidate, but the guy you're excited about every time he's on the floor, the guy you're flipping the channel to go watch because they're making the sport fun. I'll start. I'll go first. I think mine has to be LaMelo ball. I mean, this kid is electric. We've been watching him play since he was 14 years old. It seems like, and now he's proving he belongs in this league. I mean, he's outplaying his own brother who was also a highly touted uh, pick. He got uh, 12 
uh, points, nine assists, and ten boards against his brother Lonzo right on his head. And then he puts up the first triple-double of his career last night, dropping 22 11 and 12 boards against the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, that's the youngest triple double uh, by an NBA player in the whole history of the league. He just beat out uh, Markel Fultz for that record. I just think LaMelo Ball is an electric factory, and I love watching him play every night on this Hornets team. For me personally, uh, most years I would have to go with Damian Lillard as a guy that I'm always most excited to watch because he constantly puts up 35, 40 points a game and he does most of the work for his team around him. I mean, CJ McCollum is really the only other person that can get the scoring going on that Portland team. Uh, but this year it's going to be uh, a similar kind of style of player uh, in a similar situation that Dame's been throughout his whole career. And I would have to say Bradley Beal would be my guy that I'm most uh looking into this year uh i mean he's averaging 35 points a game leading the league in scoring this year now i don't expect that to be anywhere near where he finishes the season but he's a guy that could go out there and we i mean we saw it the other night he scored 60 points against uh the 76ers the other day and he's just a very similar style to lillard where he could just shoot the ball lights out every single day of the week. And he single-handedly keeps his teams in the game with a little bit of help from Russell Westbrook as a secondary guy, similar to how McCollum was in or is in Portland. But Bradley Beal is mostly the entire show in Washington. And that's why I really like to root for him and to pull for him whenever he's not playing in the Knicks. For me, my favorite guy to watch this year, and he's one of my favorite players of all time, it's Steph Curry. And he's finally back on the court after missing a majority of last year with the arm injury and the Warriors. I mean, they're a team that a lot of people thought can make their way back into the playoffs this year. They're five and four to start the year. They've had their struggles, their team, certainly not as deep as it once has been, but with Curry, he really hasn't taken a step back from his MVP level play. He's averaging 30 this year, uh, six assists as well, five rebounds. And he put up the highest scoring number uh, out of all the players this year, 62 points. Uh, he dueled Damian Lillard in one of their games against the Blazers this year. So for Curry, I mean, he's one of the most exciting players in the NBA to me. He revolutionized the game. I mean, the reason why three-point shooting is so prevalent nowadays is really it, it started with Curry, and now you know he's finally back on the court after missing all last year. So I think the league is better with Curry in it. Uh, I certainly enjoy watching him score a bunch of points, 62 points that one game. And it seems like we have a theme here, guys. Good shooting guards, point guards. You know, we like to watch all those guys play. Yeah, I think all of these young guards are just making a great impact on the league. LaMelo Ball, Bradley Beal, and Stephen Curry just impressing the whole fandom of NBA uh, aficionados out there. And I think everybody's loving the basketball we've been able to see league-wide so far in this early season. Now, switching over to the main event, we've saved the best for last it's Super Wild Card Weekend, baby. The NFL playoffs are on, currently on Nickelodeon, which is hilarious to me. But we'll start with Saturday's games. The Colts went up to Buffalo and just fell short. 24-27, the Buffalo Bills took home their first playoff win in decades. I mean, this was a huge moment for that Bills franchise. Josh Allen played well. Phillip Rivers even played well uh, on his way out the door, and then he played well. Uh, but 
it was a competitive game down to the end. What did you guys see watching that Colts-Bills matchup? Yeah, this game was um, right around where I expected it to be. I expected it to be a little bit further apart. The Bills won by three. I thought they would have been better like five or six, but it was close. Um, and it was it was pretty fun to watch, but I thought it would be in high, a lot higher scoring. Uh, I only ended up being 27-24. I thought both teams were going to be easily into the 30s. Um, just uh, the Bills don't really have a strong defense and they have one of the most explosive offenses in the league. Uh, but I, I definitely think next weekend they'll be doing – probably scoring over 30 then but my main takeaway from this game i know it didn't really have that much of an effect on the way the game ended the colts still lost either way but i see that the nfl is going uh, in a direction that is similar to the way baseball is going where it's becoming a lot more analytically driven and over the past year this has become extremely apparent and it was apparent on saturday as well when the colts went for two down 14 so they scored a touchdown make it down eight and they went for two after that and personally i still don't like that because if you make it sure cool now you can win with a touchdown but you're forcing you're locking yourselves into a two-point conversion and you know you're not it's nowhere near guarantee i mean an extra point is almost completely guaranteed and if you miss it you're forcing yourself to go for the tie with an extra two point conversion after that. So I personally don't like that. And I think that the refs missed a call towards the end on the fumble or what they ended up calling down by contact that allowed the Colts to have a couple shots at the end zone in the winning minutes. But those are just my first thoughts uh, on the game and the first game of the weekend. Right. That non fumble call toward the end had Bills fans shaking in their boots. Just an absolute nerve wracking of. Uh, official play kind of changing the course of the game luckily the Bills still came out on top even with the questionable uh, call you never want to see whether the call was right or wrong doesn't matter but you don't want to see the officials being put in a position to control the outcome of the game like that that's just not uh, good football for anyone involved so Will what did you think about this Bills Colts matchup yeah, I really do agree with Justin. I think some questionable decision-making really cost the Colts the game in this one. I mean, they played it very aggressively. They probably didn't expect it to be as close as it was coming in. I mean, just a couple of key moments for me, you know, that two-point conversion Justin brought up as well. But the Colts went for it on fourth down near the end of the first half. I mean, they were inside their own 10, and they were winning the game at that point. It was 10-7 to uh, going for it on fourth down. Phillip Rivers backed all the way up, I think, to around about the 20-yard line. And uh, he had to fire it into the end zone. They needed a touchdown to convert that. And uh, I think it was Michael Pittman laid out for it and was unable to make the catch. So they could have taken the 13 to seven lead there. That could have definitely helped them out later on. And then just, I mean, this wasn't really a decision call, but they missed a field goal off the upright in the third quarter. And that could have definitely given them some more points as well. So those two things combined with the two point conversion failed attempt. uh, I, I think those decisions really, cost the Colts this game and they they could have actually ended up knocking off Buffalo if they had made some better choices here so it's a good one for the Bills they get their first playoff win in what was it guys I think 21 years so 25 for them they're certainly an yeah even more even more than I than I thought but they're certainly a contender here in the AFC uh I'm excited that they won because I like to watch them play and I think they can really give the Chiefs a run for their money here 
Definitely a very exciting game to kick off Super Wildcard Weekend. Both quarterbacks throwing for over 300 yards and two touchdowns. Josh Allen even led the Bills in rushing as well. And some nice uh, receiving performances from Stefan Diggs. Six receptions, 128 yards and a tutty. And the rookie Michael Pittman for the other side leading the Colts with five receptions for 90 yards. Nice to see the young guy stand out in the playoff game. The next matchup we saw on Saturday was the NFC West battle between the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. The Rams defense made this game what it was. They got after Russell Wilson all night. They shut down the run for the most part and ended up squeaking this out 30 to 20. The Rams are moving on, beating the team that won the division. How good does this feel for Sean McVay and his squad? Will, I'll start with you. Yeah, you got to feel great if you're the Rams and Sean McVay. And if they continue to play like that, I mean, they could certainly be a dark horse in the NFC. I mean, when you have a great defense like that, that's able to get you a win, uh, you know, that makes you a dangerous team, especially in the playoffs. And it really did come down to that. I mean, the defense was responsible and Cam Akers as well. You know, for a rookie, he had 175 total yards. For him to do that in his first playoff game is pretty special. You know, they really leaned on him, especially after... You know, they had some quarterback drama in this one. I mean, their guy went down early. Uh, they had to bring in Jared Goff fresh off thumb surgery. And, uh, you know, he was just the game manager out there. I mean, he had 150 yards, uh, didn't make any mistakes, which certainly benefited them. But to have Akers be able to really get things done for you on the ground was, uh, you know, the, probably the reason why they were able to win uh, along with their defense. And for Seattle, I mean, they really continue to underachieve, uh, in my opinion. I mean, they haven't made the NFC Championship since they lost the Super Bowl back in 2014. And for all the credit they get every year, I mean, they've won as many playoff games as the Dallas Cowboys in 20, since 2017. And for the Cowboys, I mean, their one win was against the Seahawks. So that makes it you know, even worse to me uh, if you're a Seahawks fan. So for them, uh, they need to really look at their team and see what's going on this year because they had one of the league's worst defenses. I mean, they got gashed by Akers in this game. They were getting bombed on all year. Uh, and for Russell Wilson, you know, it, it's just tough for him to have to continue to, to underachieve with his team. A couple more key plays for me that stand out. Um, obviously, the pick six, Darius Williams. This was a zone defense. The Seahawks, they ran a wide receiver screen. Williams just jumped it perfectly. And there was DK couldn't catch him this time. I mean, he just ran it right back into the end zone. That put the Rams up by 10. And the other one, it was a fumble in the fourth quarter. The Seahawks were down by 10. And they got a huge third down stop. They stopped Akers on like, I think it was a third and one run and they forced the Rams to punt. But then on the punt return, they fumbled and it gave the Rams the ball back right inside the 40 yard line. And they scored a TD to put them up 30 to 13. And that was, that was it. So those are a couple of key moments for me that cost Seattle this game. When the Rams went up by 10 points on that Darius Williams, 42 yard pick six. I mean, you could tell the momentum of this game totally shifted to LA's side. They didn't even have to do it with their injured slew of quarterbacks. Wolford going out early with a neck injury. Hope he's okay. And then Jared Goff being forced to play uh, after disloading. Yeah, dislocating his thumb a few weeks back. So really interesting to see the Rams pull this one off with pretty much their defense alone. Justin, what did you think of this matchup? Um, I think this matchup really reaffirmed something that I've believed for years. I've always been someone that's 
been a, a real proponent of defense. I've always said defense builds championships. And this year, I was starting to doubt that a little bit. I mean, offense this year, especially the NFL has looked like an offensive league. It has been for the past couple of years, but this year, especially. And this year, I, I saw a stat where the five teams that finished averaging over 30 points in a game all made the playoffs. Five of the top nine offensive teams all made the playoffs. And these two teams, especially the Seahawks, were two of the top offensive teams in the country. Um, but the Seahawks had been playing great defense recently. I believe in the last six weeks of the season, they had allowed the least amount of points to opponents. The Rams uh, had been playing great defense throughout the entire year, carried by Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And it just showed again today that, or yesterday, that defense does build championships. I know the final score, 30-20, seems like a relative, like a little bit higher scoring than some games that we're used to, but only 43 of those 50 points were on offense. We had the pick six. And like you had said, the pick six was really a momentum builder for the Rams sucked all the air out of Seattle stadium. And it was a huge changer. And that muffed punt that will had alluded to later on in the game. I know it's not defense, but that's special teams too. defense and special teams are something that people like to talk less and less about as the years go on, but I think they still have a place and they're still um, extremely important and mm -hmm. fans especially are undervaluing them more than ever. Yeah. I mean, 15 points on field goals alone between the two squads. I mean, that plus the pick six, you're a hundred percent right. Both offenses underperformed the Rams probably because of their quarterback, uh, limitations i mean cam Akers had a great game congrats to the florida state rookie showing out in his playoff debut 131 and a touchdown on the ground i mean a lot of young guys showed out in this game dk metcalf on the other side five receptions 96 yards and two big touchdowns for that uh seahawks team i mean he's gonna be one of the biggest wide receiver threats in the league for a long time now moving on to the final game of saturday the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady went into Washington, D.C. and defeated the Washington football team 31-23. Taylor Heineke got the start for the football team uh, with Alex Smith being ruled out with a calf injury. What did you guys think about this game? Justin, I'll start with you. I was pleasantly surprised by the way Washington had played. Um, I thought that I and mean, most people thought that they didn't really deserve to be in the playoffs. They did win the division, so they had to be, but they weren't really a playoff team uh, on paper. Like they, they just didn't have the skill to be a bona fide playoff team, but they really showed that they at least had a chance here. They showed people that although on paper, they didn't look as impressive as a normal playoff team, they were still able to play with the big dogs. They were still able to go out there and the Bucs are one of the favorites in the in the NFC, I know they're the five seed, but they're still some people's favorite to win the Super Bowl. And they kept it within eight points. They were within a possession for most of the second half, most of the game overall. And honestly, I, I was just really blown away with how well they played. And especially without Alex Smith, Taylor Henneke went out there and he had a fantastic game. He did have that one interception uh, later on in the game. But before that, he was 26-44 with 306 yards and a touchdown. That is some absolutely monstrous stuff against a team whose defense is one of the better ones in the entire NFL. So uh, although we all expected the Bucs to win this game and win it handily, Washington made it a lot closer than we expected. And as someone that hates Brady as much as the next guy, um, I wish they would have been able to pull it off. 
Yeah, Justin, I was certainly rooting for the football team as well. Uh, you know, even since the beginning of the year, I thought it would be hilarious if a if the Washington <laughs> football team made the playoffs, and they actually did. I mean, not the way that I thought. It was kind of by default. Their division was so poor, but they actually got a playoff game, and they had their QB carousel all year as well. I mean, the Washington football team had as many storylines as pretty much any team in the NFL, you know, when it comes to just first of all with their name change, second of all, Ron Rivera, you know, he was going through all his treatment throughout the season. So it was great for them to be able to make the playoffs for him. And then of course, you know, they had four starting quarterbacks this year with Alex Smith, uh, obviously Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and now Tyler Haneke, who looked like one of the best out of all of them. Uh, And they have some QB questions to answer next year as well. I mean, I I don't know who they're going to be able to roll out there. Maybe they'll go back to Smith. Maybe they'll stick with Heineke after a great game, or maybe they'll go out and get somebody else, but they certainly have uh, an important position to fill. But for this game, yeah, I mean, I just wanted a football team to win. Uh, sick of Brady, always making the playoffs, always being successful. It would have been a nice refresher to see him uh, go down in the first round two years in a row. But uh, unfortunately, that did not happen. The Bucks, they certainly looked like the better team, though, uh, despite being on the road. And uh, they rightfully got the win in this one. So it was a good win for them. Yeah, I think Taylor Heineke went out and did all he possibly could in the situation he was in. Obviously, that interception toward the end wasn't timely or anything, but I mean, the man threw for over 300 yards. He led the team in rushing, which he shouldn't have had to. I mean, they just couldn't get much of anything going on the ground. I mean, Tampa has a great front seven, and that was shown tonight or Saturday. And I think that the NFC least lived up to its expectation with Washington representing them just not doing enough to become the competitive team that can take down Brady and the Bucks. Brady threw for 381 and two touchdowns. Mike Evans had almost 120 yards. I mean, solid offensive performance. I think the Bucks want to be more consistent uh, on offense and be able to get more rhythms going more easy. Uh, but overall, solid victory for the Bucks. They'll move on to the next round. And starting with today's game, what I believe to be the best game of the playoffs so far Ravens went into Tennessee beat the Titans Lamar was doing it all for the Ravens offense with a big rushing touchdown and the Ravens D shut down Derrick Henry forced Tannehill to beat them and he couldn't the Ravens defense played fantastic this afternoon and I think that was what pushed them over the edge and is going to get Lamar his first playoff victory and push the Ravens to the second round what did you guys think about uh this afternoon's fantastic AFC matchup I was honestly pretty surprised by what had went down given the fact that the Titans were able to jump out to an early 10-0 lead uh going into this game my main key for the Titans was to get out to an early lead to A, force Lamar Jackson, who has some questionable throwing ability, uh, to throw the ball instead of do things with his legs, and B, uh, to be able to give the ball to Derrick Henry every down and just grind a lot of clock. And after they got out to a 10 nothing first quarter league, I thought both of those things were going to happen. But Baltimore responded right after that with a field goal, and then they forced the Titans to go to a three and out, and then they scored another touchdown of their own, uh, making it even before halftime. And 
I mean, the rest of the way, they were shutting down Derrick Henry. They weren't allowing the Titans to go to their bread and butter on the offense and move down the field. Um, and then they just decided to take a lead uh, right out of halftime and force Ryan Tannehill to start throwing the ball a lot more. And that's when they started to get into some issues. And they held the Titans to their three total second half points or three total points after the second quarter. So. I thought they were going to be able to ground and pound against the Baltimore Ravens defense with Derrick Henry. I know they had a the Ravens do have a good run defense, but Derrick Henry had over 2000 yards and I was mistaken on that. And good job for the Ravens going out into Tennessee and getting the victory. Yeah. Derrick Henry putting up his low on the season in rushing yards, only putting up a pitiful 40 yards on the ground in 18 rushing attempts, his low on the season. I mean, when you stop Derrick Henry, you stop the Titans offense for the most part. I know Ryan Tannehill's been having uh, the best season of his career and uh, between this and last season, and uh, people were expecting him to go out and be able to uh, get the ball spread over the field when Derrick Henry's not on Derrick Henry mode and doing great performances and pulling off big runs, but credit to this Ravens defense for stopping him and forcing Tannehill to be the man to beat them. And he simply couldn't. Will, what do you think about this game? Yeah, Ben, I think the play of Tannehill is kind of going overlooked in this game. I mean, everybody is pointing to Derrick Henry being locked up, uh, you know, obviously on the other side, Lamar over 130 yards on the ground for him, almost as many rush yards as passing yards. Uh, so he's certainly, made an impact both in the air and on the ground. But the play of Tannehill, I mean, all year, he, he's looked really good. Uh, I thought that he would be able to come out and actually beat the Ravens in this game. I, I did think the Titans would come out and win. And back, I was on X's and O's a couple of weeks ago, and I was posed the question, who do I think is going to win the AFC South? And my host at the time asked me if I thought it would be the Colts, if I thought it would be the Titans. They had just faced off in that Thursday night game that told the Colts uh, win big. And I said the Titans would win the division because I believed in the play of Ryan Tannehill. And I think that he would have been a much more steady, much more consistent quarterback on the year than Phil Rivers. And it turns out I was at, right. You know, I'm not, not trying to flex my prediction here, but I was right. The Titans, they did win the division. And I thought for those same reasons, they'd be able to come out and win this game today. But Tannehill, he just got absolutely locked up by the Baltimore Ravens defense. They certainly took advantage of the stops that they got by putting up offensive points and they capitalized on shutting down Derrick Henry. And that just further confirms you know, the notion that you don't need a great running back to win football games. And, to, you know, teams, they like to draft players like Leonard Fournette and Saquon Barkley early in the draft. But uh, if they get shut down in a playoff game and you rely on them heavily, uh, you cannot really be doing that, especially in today's NFL. So it was a good win for Baltimore. Uh, they go on the road and beat the Titans. I thought the Titans would win, but I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And of course, Marcus Peters sealing the game late with a huge interception, leading that Ravens defense to celebrate and rub it in the face of Titans fans everywhere, celebrating on their logo after uh, some disrespect was dished out originally by the Titans weeks ago when they played the Ravens the first time around in Baltimore. So there was definitely some vengeance on the mind of the Ravens team. They got their payback and they're moving on to the next round. Lamar gets his first playoff win. It's a good story for the Baltimore Ravens who after uh, going cold mid season, were able to turn things up after uh, some 
big issues with COVID-19 and having some struggles as a team and going through some adversity. So great story to see them finish 11 and five and now bring that strong finish into the playoffs and move on into the second round. Now, since we've been recording, uh, the Bears and Saints have figured out finished up, excuse me, down in New Orleans with the Saints winning 21-9. to Mitch Trubisky throwing for 200 yards, just 10 incompletions and a touchdown. Drew Brees in uh, what could have possibly ended up being the last game of his career, say, uh, after uh, Ian Rappaport and others confirmed this morning that he will likely retire after the end of the season. Drew Brees put up 265 and two touchdowns. Kamara, 99 yards and a touchdown. Saints pull out a big victory 21 to 9 bears just couldn't get a ton going offensively uh i believe it's javon wims just completely dropped a beautiful ball thrown like 50 yards from trubisky for a touchdown early in the first half just that was demoralizing for this bears team and especially after mitch trubisky's struggled through so much of his career to see a touchdown dropped like that, that would have absolutely changed the course of this game. Of course, uh, made it a lot closer, see what they could do with that kind of momentum. But this is pretty much, for the most part, the outcome everybody expected. Maybe we thought the Saints would score more. Maybe we thought the Bears would be able to score other than a field goal. How do you guys feel about the result of this game? Is it what you expected? Did you think it was going to be more competitive? What do you think? Yeah, this is exactly what I expected. I mean, the Bears' offense has been, I mean, just to put it bluntly, it's been absolutely terrible this entire year. Uh, it got a little bit of a charge when Nick Foles was playing, but since Trubisky has been back, it hasn't been anything special. And although that one drop touchdown probably it was pretty killer for Trubisky, it was killer to watch, uh, just watching the replay of it a little while ago, it it just it was killer to watch but i don't think it would have had that much of an effect on this game uh, just the rest of the way the bears just hadn't been able to move the ball against the saints the saints have one of the best defenses in the league and they held the bears to under 250 total yards they held trubisky to under 200 yards and the the bears defense they did well they did pretty well against the saints offense it has a lot of firepower but it just wasn't enough and against this team that just has a lethal defense you can't score just nine points against them um i i'm happy with the result i really am pulling for drew Brees and what might be his last season uh he is one of the best quarterbacks of all time and i think you really could make an argument that he's top three of all time i know that people kind of want to say he's not just because he hasn't had that much postseason success he's only had that one super bowl but I think that I just want him to go far in this playoffs. I don't know how far he will go, but I want him to go far. And I, I really hope that even if he doesn't win a Super Bowl this year, if he makes it to the NFC Championship game or even makes it to the Super Bowl and loses, that that would be a great way to end his career and maybe uh, allow the haters to see that he really is a top five, if not top three quarterback of all time. Yeah, guys, for me coming to this weekend, this game was going to be by far the most boring game, the game I had the least interest in. And, and it did live up to those expectations. I mean, a 21-9 to win, the Bears only had that one touchdown. And I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, so this game is extra brutal for me, having to watch the Bears go up against the Saints. I mean, I guess I can't really complain about the Saints. We have uh, beaten them the last couple of years. But, you know, for me being an outsider looking in, you know, all I could do is they just complain about the matchups here. But 
I think Justin brings up a great point. I mean, we're watching what might be the final couples, the final stretch here of Drew Brees' career. So, you know, from that aspect, watching these games might be worth it just because, you know, he might be gone after this season and he's one of the all-time great players. I mean, regardless of where you rank him, top three, top five, top 10, whatever. I mean, he, he is a legend in the NFL and just to have the opportunity to watch any legendary player in any sport uh, is certainly a privilege and to be around for that. So to watch the Saints, their final run here, uh, it will be entertaining from that aspect. I made a Super Bowl prediction at the beginning of the season. I said it would be Saints-Ravens. I had the Ravens winning just because I thought they would be a lot better uh, this year. <clears throat> they continue to roll. I mean, they're on a six-game win streak here uh, heading into the playoffs. So we'll see if that prediction can at least come true. But from the aspect of the Saints, I think watching Breeze, his last couple of games is still pretty entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I think the Bears' defense was able to control the Saints as much as they possibly could in the first half. But then after two halves of football where you're not getting any support from your offense, again, that drop Javon Wims touchdown dot from Trubisky was going to be the only touchdown the Bears could have scored tonight. And that would have changed momentum pretty significantly and made the game a lot closer. But in the end, the Saints were able to do what the Saints do, which is beat their opponent down defensively with their high-powered offense led by Breeze, led by Kamara. And of course, having Michael Thomas back scoring a touchdown in the first half was huge to their success and huge to getting their cohesiveness as an offensive unit back on track. So I'm not surprised by this 21-9 victory, and I think you guys are right. We do need to appreciate uh, the greatness of Drew Breeze while he's uh still around I think he's one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it and uh, just a great story of resilience throughout his career and I, I'm excited to see what he can do throughout the rest of these playoffs now in just a few minutes actually the Browns and Steelers AFC North matchup here in the wild card round is going to begin but it hasn't yet so no no action for us to know I mean we're not uh Obviously, when you're listening to this, you'll know who won and what the story was. But let's see how accurate our analysts can get with their predictions. Fellas, what do you think is going to go down in tonight's AFC North matchup between these two bitter rivals? I think this will be a tough matchup for the Browns to go out there and win. But I do think they can do it. The Browns, I think they can go and get some pressure on Big Ben uh, and get some pressure on them early. The Steelers' pass offense isn't really like anything special. Um, and I know that the Browns have had COVID concerns. They're going to have two coaches out, I believe, today, and they're going to have a few players out. But their players are in their secondary, and that does seem like a problem. But again, this, this Pittsburgh Steelers' pass and attack isn't anything special. It isn't anything that is going to really hurt you. Maybe they'll have one big play that will hurt you. But aside from that, they're not going to be doing anything consistently strong on the offensive side of things. And on the flip side, when the Browns are on offense, they have one of the most lethal, if not the most lethal, running back tandem in the entire league. Um, TJ Watt may have something to say about that. He rested in week 17, but I think he might be a little rusty. I don't know if we're going to see the exact same uh, TJ Watt that we've seen uh, for the past couple of years, the extremely uh, fearsome TJ Watt that we have seen. And he hasn't had much playoff experience. I know he's only had one game in the playoffs and that was in his uh, rookie season, but 
that game wasn't that impressive either. I believe he only had one tackle the entire game. So I don't think, especially with the week off, I think he might be a little rusty. And I don't know if he has the experience to be as much for the threat as we are used to seeing TJ Watt have on the, on the defensive side of things. So I think that Chubb and Hunt will have a decent game as the duo. And I think the Browns will do just enough to upset the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers on the road. It might be a bold prediction, a very bold one. If I'm saying, if I'm being honest, but uh, that's what I think will happen. At least I hope it'll happen. Mm-hmm. I think it, uh, I think, I think it is a, I think it is a bold prediction. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if the Browns are going to be able to go into Pittsburgh without their head coach, Kevin Stefanski on the sideline and be able to get the win. They did split the season series. I mean, these teams are division rivals. They do play twice in a year. The Steelers blew them out way back in October uh, in one of the first games of the year. They were obviously rolling early in the season. And then just recently, week 17, uh, it was the Browns getting a two-point win against Pittsburgh. And the, the Steelers, they did sit Big Ben they were resting a lot of their starters just because they did lock up uh, the three seed in the AFC. Uh, so I, I, th- I do think the Steelers are going to be able to come out on their home field and win just because Stefanski is not going to be around. Uh, I think he was a really big part uh, to what made the Browns successful this season. I mean, you looked at what they have been before him. You know, he kind of unlocked Baker Mayfield and, un- and unlocked this offense, especially losing Odell Beckham Jr., for the season to a torn ACL uh, Jarvis Landry has been out a couple of games here and there. So without those guys, I mean, you'd certainly would think that Baker would be struggling, but he's looked really good this year and it's been largely due to the prevalence of their run game. Stefanski. I mean, I am a Vikings fan. As I said before, I've watched him, you know, open things up running the ball wise uh, in Minnesota with Dalvin cook. And he certainly gets some nice weapons here. Kareem hunt, Nick Chubb, you know, those are some of the league's best running backs and probably the league's best running back duo in Cleveland. So uh, he has certainly been a big part of what made them successful and he's not going to be there. So I think that's going to be a little bit too much of a hump for them to get over. I think the Steelers can get it done uh, at home in this one. I completely agree with you. I think the Browns definitely are a much improved squad. I think Kevin Stefanski adds a lot uh, to that team and has been able to uh, really push their offense through adversity and get them to a place where they want to be, get Baker Mayfield uh, more suited to be an NFL quarterback and going out there every week and looking like a top talent and like a number one pick. I think Baker Mayfield has made tremendous strides in his game and is it's been proven week in and week out. Now, I think Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and this Cleveland running game is definitely going to be a huge factor in tonight's game. I think uh, just the wide receiving core of the Cleveland Browns has been shaky all year. I think they're solid guys, and I think Baker has been able to spread the ball around a lot, uh, especially with Beckham out. I mean, his numbers have improved with Beckham out, but I mean, you can't tell everything off the numbers. Odell Beckham is a tremendous talent. They're they're simply not as good of a – offensive unit without him out there I don't think that plays a factor now that they've been playing most of the season without him but I do think that this Steelers defense is among the best in the league I mean fantastic secondary they rival uh the Rams who we talked about earlier they're the only team that even comes close to rivaling that Rams secondary I think this Steelers defense is going to bring 
uh, a win home tonight, shut down that Browns offense, both through the run and through the air. I don't believe in Pittsburgh's offense at all. I think Ben is having trouble throwing balls further than 25 yards and everything that is competent is between the numbers and the running game is horrible. Benny Snell and James Conner are both going to be not Steelers for very long. Like I, I'm not going to say they're out of the league or anything. I They'll probably bounce around, but I don't believe in their running game at all. I completely am basing this win on the Steelers defense. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Browns pull this out, but I think the Steelers defense is strong enough to shut down the Cleveland offensively. And I think Ben can lead that group to do just enough to get over the hump. I do think there's no way they make past the second round. I think the Steelers team is very fraudulent. However, I, I just think that defense is going to be good enough to shut down a head coachless Cleveland Browns squad tonight. That's going to be all for this episode of X's and Opinions. I've been Ben Harris, and I've been joined by a wonderful crew of analysts, Justin Nicosia, Will Swanky. Thank you guys so much for being here tonight. We will talk to you next week. Make sure you follow WSOU Sports on all social media and tune in to 89.5 FM.